Hello, everyone, and welcome to another executive order-filled episode of Phil and the Mike. I am always in Darren Mike. And with me, my trusty sidekick, who's been busy collecting all of the pins that Joe Biden has been using to sign the countless executive orders, Mr. Phil Calise. <laughs> you uh, you gave me a uh, you gave me a job that's doable. I like you that. like you like yeah. that one right now. That's now my question, <laughs> my question, because all of a sudden, since we're doing this live, now we're not. I can't play that. You know, my question to you is: Are you putting these things up on eBay or what? <laughs> you know, and I wonder how much you could actually get for these pens. Uh, I don't know, but the going rate, the going rate on the Donald Trump plain autograph on a piece of paper at one point yeah. hit like seven or eight grand on eBay. Jeez, wow! So when he he there was a there was a clip one time I got a kick out of of him signing for like firefighters or something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He, and they would be like, hey, Mr. Trump, President Trump, uh, can you put my name down? And he'd say, no, 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 guys, I'm just going to sign on a piece of paper. It's worth a lot more. That way you could sell it. He's like, you get like eight to 10 grand on eBay. For these That's hysterical. So it was funny. So I don't That's know, a Joe, a Joe Biden executive pen? Well, there's no signature there. So I don't know what we can get for that. <laughs> I, maybe maybe that, 10 I, bucks, maybe 10 bucks. Now, does it come with a certificate of authenticity or do, does it come Limited with like a, a fill- edition? <laughs> That's it. We need, we need, what's, what's that famous, uh, the, the baseball card company, um, the, uh, the, the, which one. one one of those one of those places like that, that that give you the limited edition one of only 25 signed in the first week oh look at this it's oh one of the God, early man. executive orders nice yeah yeah well here's <laughs> here's here's the thing though here's the thing and i'm gonna i'm gonna make a suggestion to you okay you need to sell them right away because there's probably going to be from the way things are going there may be thousands of those pens out there <laughs> All right. I don't know, man. Uh, You know, a happy, a happy Thursday to you, my friend. A happy Happy, Thursday. I don't know. (laughs) To get into the spirit of things, I thought that we would start with something, with something fun, and that is, I'm going to make some executive orders of my own, and I'm going to put them out there for you that I'm going to need you to obey because, well, I'm making the executive orders. So, all right, let's hear them. I've got four of them. One of them is. From now on, I need you you to refer to me as Super Bowl Darren. Uh, yes, SBD. No problem. SBD. Okay, SBD. so that, that's my executive order number one. Uh, <clears throat> number two, I am to be celebrated and revered anytime I make any kind of accurate prediction. <laughs> we will highlight your good days, and we will um, – what's it called? We will – I don't know. We'll use a new modern word. We will deplatform your bad days like they <laughs> okay. never existed. I appreciate that because, uh, you know, the, the, the accurate predictions are so rare. So I, I need to be revered for those. Uh, executive order number three. Phil is not to shave until opening day, and he is no longer allowed to shave during baseball off season. So that executive order seems to be infringing directly on my rights. And, I don't uh, care. It's it's my executive order. I don't care. Uh, well, not... you're gonna, well, you're going to have to run it through the, the, the real big boss, which is my wife, this who is, is not going to no. probably go for that. Well, listen, listen, is Biden running all his executive orders through your, your wife? I don't think so. So su- suck it up. <laughs> you're going to have to deal malarkey. with it. It is malarkey. what it is. All right. Hey, no more malarkey out of you, my friend. All right. OK, I don't I don't I don't treat. Uh, dog face pony soldiers like that. All right. So no malarkey, please. And then my fourth executive order is it goes out to all of our, uh, all of our adoring fans. And that is anyone that listens to our podcast must leave a five-star review. 
absolutely <laughs> must. And that is an executive order. Whether you like the podcast or not, which my assumption is that you do, you must leave a five-star review. So executive orders, that's the first set. They're in the book. Now uh, I need to come up with another 4,500 to catch up to Joe Biden. But let's let's talk about this. Let's just let's just jump right into these executive orders, because I got to be honest with you myself, like probably a lot of our listeners. I don't even really understand what the hell an executive order is. I mean, to me, we live in a democracy. We've got checks and balances. We've got a legislative legislative um, branch of the government. So why is the executive branch of the government making these so-called laws? Yeah, I mean, I. It's a good question. Um, so I want to start with, we'll just give a few facts. Yeah. Right. So um, a, as of yesterday, so there is a distinction and I actually wasn't aware of this because we hear executive orders, that phrase thrown around a lot, Yeah. but apparently there's something called executive orders and then there's something called executive actions. Okay. And they don't, they don't necessarily so it dis, it dis, um it skews the number a little but here are the actual facts as of yesterday so this okay. is dated by a day in the last eight administrations yeah okay so here's the facts against the against the last eight administrations in the first week joe biden has signed 22 executive orders and we'll compare it to the previous seven administrations at this time First week into his office, Donald Trump signed four. Barack Obama signed five. George W. Bush couldn't find a pen. He signed zero. <laughs> Bill Clinton Bill Clinton signed two. One of them was about, I think, um, interns being allowed back in the White House. Um, George Bush <laughs> Sr. actually found a pen and signed one. Yeah. Ronald Reagan, zero. He was too busy still shooting movies. And Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, the Greek Carter also signed one. OK, so that was the uh, that was the eight. So, I mean, you know, just stating facts, Joe Biden has signed more executive orders, double the amount of executive orders than the previous seven administrations combined in the first week. Now. Now, Speedy Joe, as I think he might start to be called, is probably going to slow down. But through the first week, he signed 22. There's a number 34 floating around out there. That number is related to combination executive orders and executive actions. We don't want to bore everybody with the details, but I think one is specifically implemented um, uh, based on what the president says. And one is like uh, almost like think of it as like one's a mandate and one is like a strong preference, I think is, is yeah. basically how you would say it. Yeah. Um, but let's let's go down a little further because I thought this was pretty interesting. Yeah. So before we get to more specifically about Biden here, taking that same eight administrations, here are the total number of executive orders signed. OK. Yep. So we'll start with Jimmy Carter. So this is pretty interesting, and we'll work our way to Donald Trump. Okay. Jimmy Carter signed 320 executive orders in his one term. That averages 80 a year. Wow. Pre- President uh, well, Ronald Reagan signed 381 executive orders, but that was over two terms. Okay. And that was about 48 per year. 
George Bush Sr., 166 executive orders over just one term, about 42 a year. President Bill Clinton, 364 executive orders over two terms. That was 46 per year. Okay. George W. Bush found a pen and <laughs> signed 291 executive orders over two years, which is 36 per year. And interestingly, was basically on the same course as um, President Obama, who signed 276 over his two terms, which is 35 per year. Mm-hmm. And then Donald Trump signed 220 executive orders in his one term, which is 55 per year. Right. So Donald Trump actually averaged the second most amount of executive orders over his one term. Um, oddly enough, and I don't think this gets talked about, Jimmy Carter signed the most yeah. in terms of per year he signed 80 per year um which was a lot but at the pace joe biden's going he's going to sign eight billion four hundred and thirty three thousand, which would break <laughs> all records now <laughs> that's not obviously going to probably hold up but i thought that context was important because we don't want to overstate what seems to be a very aggressive amount of executive orders yep and I don't want to understate it. He's certainly on pace to blow and obliterate all of these previous administrations of executive orders out of the water. Yep. Um, let's see what happens as things probably slow down. Um, but what this doesn't speak to is how many times did the president inherit, uh, you know, the Senate and the House both being of the same party matching the party that the president is? Not often. So um, in some cases, this is circumventing the gridlock that happens in Washington by having opposite parties in power, depending on the different branches. Um, You know, when you look at like a Barack Obama, we know just like Donald Trump, the first two years, both of those last two presidents had full, quote unquote, power to pass legislation. Right now. Again, there's some nuance to that. You got to have, you know, uh, 60 votes in the Senate. You know, you got to have more than a simple majority oftentimes. So it's not a no brainer that they just had full, full power um, to get everything they want done. Right. Um, But then some of these presidents never had never had the House and Senate in the same party as themselves for any period of the eight years. George George W. Bush never had it for any of his eight years. Bill Clinton, I believe, had it for two of his eight years. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it ebbs and flows. Um, but I but I do think, you know, that's just the fact. So we can go from there wherever you want to go. So, but that, so, that's the facts over the last eight administrations. All right. So so and that, that's great information. So so what you're telling me is that it's not unusual that all these things are happening. It's just unusual that he's just doing them right away like this. Yeah. And and. Yeah. So I want to be be fair to to Joe Biden. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, it happens. It happens at a fairly decent clip. Now, what I did not extrapolate out of these numbers is, you know, are these very uh, gigantic executive orders that are like what you would say seem to be overreaching? Yeah. Or are they more like, you know, very focused on something small and it's not as impactful? Like I didn't look down to all that. Right. Um, but. Again, you know, it's just fair to say he's had a very, uh, very sharp pencil here early on. I mean, he came ready to go from day one. So, you know, I think there was talk, I'm sure, in the media we know, but there was talk that Donald Trump like obliterated the executive orders 
that's what you would maybe, um, you know, be led to believe. Like he came in on day one and just started blowing it out of the water. Clearly, that's not exactly the case. He signed four in his first week. Biden has signed five times that amount. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's it's at least fair to say Biden's been very aggressive doing what he thinks he needs to do. And a lot of them, let's face it, have been very, very far left reaching. That's true. So maybe a little bit of a payback to the left part of the party to um, thank them for not blowing up his candidacy, yeah. even though they probably tried early on. Or maybe very savvy, very savvy politically to say, let's throw them a bone early on. Let's get the loudest chirpers in the room to be happy. Yep. And get on my side and, uh, you know, and, and we go from there. So more to come. We'll see. We'll yeah. see what it is. We'll probably do maybe a quick segment every other week or something to see if he's still on pace to be shattering executive order records. Yeah. Yeah. So and if he's not and it dies way back, right. then we'll also talk about how he's more fitting in line with the last few presidents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, we'll 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 see what happens. I mean, I mean, who knows? But my real question to you is and I don't I don't want to spend too much time on it, but. But what are your thoughts? I mean, what is it? What's to come? It seems like, you know, he's succumbing to this far left agenda, especially when it comes. I guess his his hot point here is, you know, he's all about climate change. That's going to be his his big uh, his big mantra, I guess. So what do you what do you what do you see happening in 2021? Where do you see him going with these executive actions? What do you see happening in our economy? Is this going to affect jobs? Is it going to affect taxes? Is it going to affect you know, our relationships with other countries, are our corporations going to start moving out of the country again? I mean, I, I know there's a lot of questions there, but just generally speaking, do you, do you think that this is going to go on a, a, a good path or, or, or a not so good path? Well, long term, I mean, I don't think there'll be any any immediate. Let's face it right now. You could sign 500 executive orders. You can do. You could do anything. He could do anything he wants to do in terms of that. Yeah. But we we have one at home crisis that needs to be resolved. It's the it's the it's the vaccination. It's it's restoring confidence for the American people to go out and live like it's 2019 again, right? Yep. Or like it's early 2020. I mean, that's really should be his hyper focused um, use of his time. Yep. And I'm not saying that every president obviously juggles 20 things at once. But without that, none of this other stuff is going to matter. Yep. So, and the longer small business is is being crushed, the longer, you know, eighty million, a hundred million people are out of work, um, you know, and and confidence is is low. Yep. You, nothing, nothing really good is going to come from that. It's only going to take the recovery, the true recovery, which I don't believe we're really even into yet. Yep. Um, you know, to happen. So. Uh, you know, do I do I particularly want to see with what's going on uh, any president focused on making climate change the most important thing? No. Um, do do I want to see uh, rate? Do I want to see taxes raised when people are already getting crushed? Yep. No. And then that gets into just a you know like a an economic conversation of, are you for the, you know, do you, do you believe that corporations should be taxed at very high levels? And do you, do you think that trickle, you know, like the trickle down, like, 
you know, Republicans tend to believe that, you know, you leave corporations alone, they hire more people, yep. you let the free market work itself out. Democrats tend to come in and say, go after the big bad corporations and go tax everybody at really high levels. And they think, you know, that that's more fair, yep. even if it doesn't necessarily get the job done, yep. because as we know, rich people evade and get through the loopholes and usually the middlemen, the middle class gets screwed in the end. Yep. Um, and that's usually what happens. But I don't think this is a time to really be raising taxes on anyone. I think you got to clear the next two years of just getting things back to like normal before you start really pushing a specific agenda that can move the needle one way or the other when it comes to that. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it, he, he, he's saying some of the right things, I think, in, term of, in terms of like the vaccine and let's face it. I, I'm not even somebody who says the vaccine needs to be given to 300 million people for life to go back to normal. I think life should go back to normal now in terms of the new normal yeah. where masks go out and life goes on. Yep. Um, but, you know, things are still shut down at such a, you know, such a pace. And, and I guess at this point now, the country is bought into the idea that everybody needs to be vaccinated for life to move on. Yep. So if, if that's the new goalpost, right, and the goalposts we know have moved quite a lot since last March, if the new goalpost is life cannot come back to normal until everybody's been vaccinated or everybody who wants to be vaccinated is vaccinated, yep. then we got a long way to go. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and, 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 the, and the goalpost was moved more by, I think, the left side of the house and the party. So if that's the goalpost, then, well, then let's let's be hyper focused on getting vaccinations out. Yep. and making it happen because if not what nobody's moving on that's so true. that's true you know uh, we'll see uh, we'll see we'll see where this goes I'm, I'm i have an open mind to certain things i think biden can do well uh, he scares the heck out of me in certain areas and and we'll see <laughs> i mean honestly that's the truth we'll we'll see what it what it is yeah. i don't know yeah we're just listen we're just gonna have to play it by ear and 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 see how things go i mean you know i know that that biden and his team have put in a lot of thought to to the world and what needs to change. And you know what, we'll, we'll see if it, if it works out or not, you know, I mean, it's, it's obviously too early to tell. I mean, we're, you know, what, literally in our in second week of his presidency. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see. Um, but, uh, but definitely good stuff. And there's going to be a lot to talk about. I know over the course of uh, the next four years, but I wanted to move on to a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. And that is the baseball hall of fame. And as probably everybody knows, there was no one that was elected to the Hall of Fame. And it literally has has set Kurt Schilling off like I, I, I'd like to say like I've never seen him before, but I've seen him like this every other week. I mean, it's just the way that he is. <laughs> and uh, he went from 70 percent of the vote last year to 71 percent of the vote this year. And uh, he is so outraged by that. He basically said to the Hall of Fame, you know what? Take me off the ballot. I want nothing to do with you guys. If the writers don't want me in, then that's fine. I will wait till I get to the Veterans Committee and have my peers vote me in, and then I will, I will be happy, happy to to accept the invitation and I will join the Hall of Fame. But, you know, I, I understand his frustration, and you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, and and looking at at Schilling at sixty one at seventy one percent, then you got Bonds and Clemens at sixty one percent, and they really didn't go up either this year, which is which is unfortunate. So, you know, so I I've come up with a number of uh, of things that I wanted to talk about, but before I get into it, I just I just want your thoughts because I'm I'm pretty passionate 
in my views. So, so what I'm going to do is, you know, we're just going to have a conversation about this. And, uh, and, and here's, here's where I'm going to start it. Okay. I'm going to start it with number one, Bonds and Clemens were truly not found guilty of using steroids and Schilling had absolutely no playing issues whatsoever. So to me, there's no guilt from Bonds and Clemens and Schilling, you know, he started running his mouth after he was out of baseball. And this doesn't celebrate his life. This celebrates his baseball career. So I have a problem from that aspect. Do you, do you feel the same way about that? Or do you feel a little differently? Ah, the hall of fame conversation. So, you know, you and I don't really agree on the hall of fame stuff always, but here's where I probably agree with you. If someone in my mind, so the sweet spot of my baseball viewing life is, is the steroid era, right? I mean, I, I, I grew up, I mean, I've loved baseball since I was a young boy, but my, my fondest memories, like most people are as a kid, um, as a kid through teenage years, even through college. So that really hits through the steroid era. Yep. Um, for me, I kind of break it down a few different ways. If, if I thought you were a, a hall of famer pre steroid yeah. or pre allegations of using it, then you're a hall of famer to me. And it, it's not even a question. So is Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens a hall of famer? Yes. Because to me, they were first ballot hall of famers pre steroids. Yeah. Um, you know, did it, did it, does it bother me though, particularly with bonds that he set records, individual season records that'll never be broken when I clearly believe in my heart, he was juicing and he turned a great player into an immortal player because yeah. he was a great player and he became immortal. So does that bother me? It does for like the integrity and all that, yeah. but be that as it may, they're both hall yeah. of famers. Um, Schilling's Schilling's also a hall of famer. But here's, I guess, the flip side to it. Yeah. Do I lose any sleep over the fact that 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 Bonds and Clemens aren't in the Hall of Fame, knowing they did, in my mind, cheat the game later in their careers for no good reason? Yeah. It bothers me. It bothers me, and so I don't lose sleep over the fact they're not in. Um, and Schilling's a different case. I mean, Schilling's not as good as Bonds or Clemens, but he's a Hall of Famer that I think has rubbed a lot of the media and a lot of the writers the wrong way because he's very – Let's face it, he's very right wing leaning. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's way more controversial in the writer's minds than if he was very left leaning. And so and he's stepped in it with some things he's done and said. Yep. Again, though, all that being said, some of the worst human beings in the world have been in the Hall of Fame for fifty years. That's right. You know, the things they used to say about Ty Cobb were beyond approach of you know, they're they're Dude, you know what? You have you have you know, so it's like it's like Schilling should be in because you separate the two. You have to stop mentioning all the things that i want to touch on dude enough is enough I'm that's sorry. why we need to start well, preparing for these shows ahead of time we need to start preparing we need to start preparing because we don't prepare. all that i wanted you to talk about was the not found guilty and the no issues while he was playing that's it stop talking about everything else man you're really annoying me I'm now sorry. right enough is enough because because my second argument towards this was that for bonds and clemens that they were hall of famers pre using steroids yeah well let's think of it but let's think about who bonds and clemens we know they're hall of famers are they ever going to get in is the question your mind gun, gun to your head are they ever getting in i'm gonna say 
Yes, one day they are gonna. I think. I think one day they are gonna get in. Yes, I do. And and do you and do you think? Okay, so you think they will, but yeah. do you think part of why they're being kept out is because they're the poster men, poster boys for the steroid era in a lot of people's mind? I know McGuire could be the poster boy, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. No, they're and and Sosa can be, and Bonds and Clemens. No. I mean, there's probably five on the on no, the on, no. the, on the Hall of Fame ballot of poster uh, uh, boys. Listen, of, but... co- of course, the two poster boys are the the one guy that won seven Cy Youngs and the other guy that won seven MVPs. Of course, those are you could be your poster boys. You know, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that, that they are being put into that category. But you know what? That takes me to, to my third argument, and that is precedent. And, and I want you to think about mm. this, and I've actually done a lot of research on this. So when we're talking about – we're talking about posi- – let's talk about positive steroids, okay? And I'm just picking guys that are probably Hall of Fame worthy, okay? You've got like Rafael Palmero, Andy Pettit is borderline, um, Ramirez um, – and A-Rod. These are four guys that admitted that they did steroids. Now, Palmero has never admitted he did steroids. His positive test on the steroids was done at the very end of his career. All right? So that's mm-hmm. one thing. So I personally think he got bad advice. I think if he had said, yes, you know what? I was injured. I'm in my 40s. I wanted to come back. I made a mistake. I apologize. I used steroids mm-hmm. one time. I think he would be in the Hall of Fame. But he didn't do that. Yep. He insisted he never used steroids. He pointed to us and said, I have never used steroids. And then he gets the positive test. So he's he's done. He's never getting into the Hall of Fame, even though he's one of the very few guys with 3,000 hits and 500 home runs. Deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Then you've got other guys like McGuire has been implicated. You've got David Ortiz. Now, that's going to be an interesting one next year because mm. there's a report that he tested positive. A report. We don't, I don't know if it's true, if it's not true. And that was in 2003. So we don't know exactly what's going on. He never tested positive after that. Sosa, obviously, we know that guy. He's just a mess in himself. But a couple things that I wanted to point out in addition, Piazza and Bagwell, they were both first ballot Hall of Famers that did not get on the first ballot because, not that they were linked to steroids, they played during the steroid era. So they were grouped in with all those people, which I thought was incredibly unfair. Yeah, they, 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 grouped, they grouped in big, strong, home run hitting guys, for <clears throat> sure, that just played in that era. That's exactly for, for right. For sure, that, that was held against. Yep. yep. So I, I have a real problem with that. But even more so, there's two guys that have gotten in. Ivan Rodriguez was implicated. And if anybody has seen him, he's half the size. When he when he retired, he was half the size he was during his his he heyday. Lost, he lost the whole he lost the whole pudge on his way. Yeah, he literally, he literally, was... he went from pudge to skinny. So it was crazy. And uh, and the and the commissioner Bud Selig, who was the commissioner during all of this, you can't tell me that he wasn't looking at dollar signs and not looking the other, you know, at steroids. He got in. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's it. Yeah. But I want to take this one step further. I'm going to try to go through with this as fast as I can. But I just wanted to show how hypocritical the Hall of Fame voters are. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give mm-hmm. you just a list. Sure. I'm gonna go down a list of Hall of Famers: Ferguson, Jenkins, great Hall of Famer. Now, these are things. These are things that guys did before they got in the Hall of Fame. Okay, okay. Ferguson, Jenkins. Did you know in 1980 he was caught in uh, in Canada going through customs with three ounces of cocaine? And he was suspended for the rest of the 1980 season and reinstated. He wasn't suspended. He was banned from baseball, but he was reinstated in 1981, later made the Hall of Fame. 
Gaylord Perry, the great Gaylord Perry, Hall of Famer, first guy to win Cy Young in both leagues. Dude, he reminds me of of remember the guy from the movie Major League where he would open his shirt and he had like Vaseline and guacamole. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like that that guy must have been based on Gaylord Perry. He spitball Vaseline. He would do he would put anything on the ball he possibly could to get movement. And this is while he was playing, and he denied it while he was playing. But when he retired, he admitted it, and he still got in the Hall of Fame. Orlando Cepeda, another guy, he spent 10 months in jail in 1975 for, for smuggling marijuana into Puerto Rico. Paul Molitor, does anybody even remember that he was at the 1984 trial of a drug dealer? Why was he at there? Because he was buying drugs from him. He was a guy that was big into cocaine. Wade Boggs, uh, he, was a, uh, he was a sex addict. He came out and said he was a <laughs> sex addict. Roger Hornsby, major racetrack gambling issues. Duke Snyder, tax evasion. Tom Yawkey, the Red Sox owner that I think he got it in 1980, you know, he didn't allow his team to play a, an African-American person until 1959. Yeah. Ty Cobb and, and Tris Speaker allegedly were part of the KKK. Paul Wainer, Grover Cleveland Alexander, Hack Wilson were known alcoholics, drunk. They used to drink during games not only that mm. you've got amphetamines that were rampant in the 1970s and in the history of baseball players have always cheated and tried to find that competitive advantage that is part of baseball as far back mm -hmm. as 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 it goes they were always trying to steal signs you know yeah. and that was always well, okay well, yeah no it's it, it, it's it's why you know you have to separate the talent from the person which yeah. is irrelevant yeah um it's a hall of fame for competition and for for were you the best were you one of the best that's at the right. time you did it that's right um so no I, I totally i totally agree with that i've evolved on this issue because during the steroid era i mean as as it became obvious that these guys were juicing and what have you i, I was very angered by it initially and felt like everything i had just watched was fake yep or was like fraudulent. Yep, yep. So I, the first three or four years after I was like digesting what was clearly, you know, the, the, the next group that got caught or the next group that clearly, you know, was a part of it and all the rumors, um, I, I was, as I've gotten older and as time has went on, which always heals, right? Time always heals. Yep. yep. And as time has went on, you kind of, you get to compartmentalize and you say, you know what? It was done. It was another era of baseball that had its its good and bad. But the, the best guys were still the best guys. Yep. I mean, you know, the best guys were still the best guys. So you put them in. I always say to you, and you don't agree with me, you build, you put them in a wing of the Hall of Fame that, you know, when you go into that wing, it says these guys played during the steroid era. And you could even say these were allegations that were had. I mean, you could do all that if it. And I don't say it like it's meant to, to – I don't say it like it's meant to – because you don't know for sure who did and who didn't. Yep. Um, but I, I say it because if that's the only way they're going to let them in, then let them in that way. If that makes the writers and that powers that be want to put a little asterisk or yep. a little – little you know, a little 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 something above the, uh, yep. the entrance way to that group and you put them on a certain wing and you say that, you can see, do that. See, I, um, I but just, they belong in. They belong yeah, in. I can't – I just – I can't agree – because you're not doing anything for anybody else. And I think next year is going to be very, very interesting because, 
You've got Bonds and Clemens who are stuck in the 60s. You've got Schilling who's stuck in the 70s. And now you're going to add Ortiz and you're going to add A-Rod. So are we looking at another year where nobody gets in? Or is this going to be a year where you're going to see guys like Scott Rowan or Billy Wagner just leapfrog over those guys because of all of these issues? You know, to me, it seems like the, the, the baseball writers are just like the holiest, most perfect people out there. And I'm so tired about the sanctity of the game and, and all this stuff. I'm just sick of it. You know, the fact of the matter is people always try to get a competitive advantage. And if you were to truly, truly dig and you were to see of all the Hall of Famers, is there anybody that didn't do everything by the book? You're going to find a lot more skeletons out there than what you see now. You know, I, listen, I hear you. And that's fair to say from your perspective as a fan. And it's and I could argue that as a fan, but I could I could more just agree with you. But you, you do also have to 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 acknowledge that the athletes that had to compete in that era that weren't cheating were cheated. Period. The end. Greg uh, Maddox or who, whomever was pitching to Barry Bonds or whoever's trying to hit off Roger Clemens and was doing it the right way was at a disadvantage. Well, let me, but let me ask you this. Let me ask you, you know, this. You know, when you talk about steroids, what are, you know, are steroids going to make, uh, are steroids going to make, you know, somebody's average go up? You know, is some, is, are steroids going to make somebody a better fielder? You know, Listen, so what are steroids going to do? Argument. Steroids are going to help you what? Hit the ball farther. Are they going to improve um, your hand? Are they going to improve your hand-eye coordination? Dude, you're going down a slippery slope here because here's my way I rebut that. If steroids weren't that big of a thing, why the heck was so many people that had already great careers <laughs> turning to it? And why did A-Rod think he needed to do it since he's 21 years old or 22 years old? Well, you know what? You know, listen, we're you gonna... know, come on. I mean, these guys clearly thought it gave them an edge, especially as they got older. Oh, it, it definitely it does. Had them but... recover, whether it had them recover faster from injury, whether it had them just get bigger and stronger so they could prolong their careers whether it did turn a long fly ball into a home run, yep. whether it turned a pitcher throwing 92 to 95, yep. Yep. whatever it is, there was a reason they were doing it. Now, now listen, I know, I know in, a, in an upcoming episode, we're going to be having a friend of the show, Dr. Rick is going to be coming on and we're going to be having a big conversation about COVID, but maybe this is something that we need to talk to him about too. And maybe, maybe find yeah. out his thoughts on, you know, what steroids do and, and do they really truly affect the game as much as it appears. I mean, that, I think yeah. that's a, from a medical perspective, I think that that'll be great and that'll help us to, to really well, kind of squash that argument. Well, listen, last thing on this from me, if, if, if we didn't think steroids actually made a big difference, yeah. I mean, and now we're going back a couple decades. I know this isn't in anybody's real house these days, but the amount of home runs that were hit in baseball. Amen. You're right. And, and the amount it dropped after it was cleaned up. You're right. Was eye-opening. That is true. So it I was eye-opening. Yep. I mean, I remember Brady Anderson, your Baltimore Oriole phenom, hit 50-some home runs and then never hit more than 15 or 20 again. So, I mean, excuse like, me. some, excuse of, some me. of these guys. Can I just correct guys, you for a second? Really... I just want to correct you for a second. Sorry. I, mean, I, th- I think the, the, most he, I, the most he ever hit in a season was 19, and then he went off. He did not hit into the 50s. He hit 50 exactly. So I just wanted to correct you. 
<laughs> okay. Put it like this: the amount yes. of home runs being hit, okay, the amount of home runs being hit on steroids is more likened to the amount yeah, of yeah. Joe Biden executive action this first week. I, I, I agree. I agree. So I think I think I think we're both along the same lines. But it's definitely an interesting conversation. I wanted to stop the conversation at this point, and I wanted to just we're we're about to get into something really exciting. And I know we haven't had a guest in a while, and it's something we really really want to do. So. We're going to have something. It's a, it's a football showdown, Jets versus the Giants. And I know there's a lot of our listeners that aren't Jets and Giants fans, but I think it's interesting because another friend to our show, and, and his name is Playoff Paul, um, he's going to be coming on in a minute, and uh, he's, a, he's a huge Giants <laughs> fan. And, and Sunday Phil is obviously a huge Jets fan. And we're, we're going to be doing some talking. We're going to be comparing the two franchises, seeing which one is going to be better uh, which one has had more success over the years? I think we know what the answer to that one is. Um, but really, you know, I think at the end, trying to figure out who the bigger fan is. And and Sunday, Phil, I mean, I, I, I think that you feel confident going up against anybody that you're probably a big the biggest fan versus anybody else, don't you think? Uh, I'm but not going to toot my own horn. But there. you're not I'm just not you're just you're we'll not see just what, uh, we'll see an average fan. We'll I mean, you're we'll you're a super you're a super fan. I mean, you know your stuff, right? No, according to my and according, according to, to my your podcast partner, you're just psychotic. But that that's 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 conversation for another day. We don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this. This is going to be a fun new segment. We're going to try to do it at least, you know, a couple couple podcasts. We're gonna we're gonna try to do a little uh, little battle of the whatevers, whether it's sports, whether it's uh, yeah politics, yeah. Listen, it's gonna it's, it's on, gonna be great. We're gonna, have, uh, we're gonna have we're gonna have Dr. Rick on. We're Looking gonna have to uh, we're gonna have Crypto Mark on to talk about uh, all things cryptocurrency, which is a big interest of mine. But I even though I know nothing about it, and uh, who knows, we may even have. Uh, Mrs. Phil and Mrs. The Mike come on and uh, and share some interesting stories about each other, which uh, kind of has me scared. But but we'll see what happens. So so I think a lot of fun things going on. We're always looking for our listeners to come on and, and talk to us about some different topics. So don't hesitate. If you're interested, reach out and uh, and just let us know. But with no further ado, I am going to bring on playoff paul and uh so everybody enjoy this next segment so everybody i'm so excited we're having our first football showdown it's jets and giants style we've got on one side of the ring playoff paul the other side is our own sunday phil now uh just to let everybody know there has been absolutely no preparation Playoff Paul, do you have any idea what we're going to be talking about today? Uh, not one bit. Last I checked, you were going to be talking. You, you were going to try and ask me questions about baseball, and I told you that was a bad idea. Yes, yes. So we we switched to a topic that uh, that we feel that that you've got some expertise in, and and uh, Sunday Phil is always. You never know what I'm going to talk about because I like to just surprise you and see if you're quick on your feet. And I'm guessing today you're not gonna be, but we'll see what happens. So. Let's just start this thing off. Paul, I'm going to ask you a question right now. And I want you to, you got 60 seconds. I want you to tell me why you're a Giants fan. Uh, I am a Giants fan because, well, one, just because uh, my, my father was a Giants fan. My grandfather was a Giants fan. It's a long family tradition. But beyond that, the Giants are one of the, the original storied franchises of the NFL. And Darren, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a traditional kind of classic kind of throwback kind of guy. 
And uh, that's what my blue giants are all about. Love it. Love it. And uh, Sunday, Phil, how about you, man? Why are you a Jets fan? Uh, because my father hated me. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I got. I'm go real quick. You know, you were just abused as a child, and, and grew up and in he... New York. We could have been Yankees and Giants fans. He made me a Met and Jet fan. Obviously, didn't love me as much as I thought. So that's it. <laughs> so I'm gonna venture a guess, Phil. You grew up out on Long Island. Uh, no, grew up in Brooklyn. Grew up no, in Brooklyn, and. Uh, so, you know, that, that, as I explained, I think on one podcast, you know, back in, you go back in the fifties, obviously with all the New York uh, teams with the Brooklyn Dodgers, what have you, most of my family were Brooklyn Dodger fans uh, and uh, gravitated obviously towards the Mets when they came about, because back then, tra- you know, tracking your team out to LA, not as likely as it would be today. So they, they became Mets fans, always hated the Yankees and same thing, Jets, Jets and Mets kind of always, you know, always went together, shared a stadium for a bit. So. Yeah, I definitely drew the uh, short straw on that one. So that's it. That's our it's story. Been, it, listen, man, it's been, it's been tough. I mean, although you know the the Jets did win the Super Bowl in 1969, so I mean it's it's been a good run. Broadway, for them. Joe Willie <laughs> Namus, a great way back when, way back when. We're we'll, we're going to talk about that in a second. But uh, my my first question actually is 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 dealing with this year, 2020. Or, I'm sorry, 2020. Um, Let's let's talk about the worst showing. All right. Uh Paul, was do you think the worst showing was the G Men losing their division to a team that had no name? <laughs> or or the Jets ruining their number one draft pick by beating two playoff teams? Well, you know what? I I, I never think that winning is is a bad showing. So I'm gonna have to go with my Giants blowing the division to a team <laughs> with no name. And listen. You know, we could we could probably have a whole nother episode just on my feelings about the Eagles tanking uh, that last game and, and yeah, blowing seriously. the division. But, but you know, the, the Giants <laughs> um, they lost a huge number of games by a touchdown or less, and really all they yep. had to do was was win. You know, two of those really, and you know, the division yep. was was not even in contest. And actually, if if you recall, we were just talking in the in the warm up about Evan Ingram and all his drafts. And if he had caught yep. that third down pass against the Eagles, uh, the, the Giants could have iced the game and it would have been a non-issue. And so the Giants, unfortunately, yep. my beloved Big Blue, uh, they blew it. Big Blue blew it. You know, it's it's unfortunate, but. Uh... Uh, Phil, what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree with uh, with playoff Paul about the the G men having the worst showing this year? So I, I respect the idea that you never feel like you're losing when you're winning, right? From a culture perspective, yeah. like winning is still the end game. I I don't like tanking. I'm not a fan of it. Having said that, when you have a chance for a generational quarterback, a Andrew Luck, a Peyton Manning, and all you have to do is continue down the utter absurd road of going winless, which you did such a good job doing for the first 12 weeks and ruin it with a unneeded, unnecessary win with a coach who was already going to get fired and an organization that was going to start over. That win was really a bigger loss because let's face it, the Giants actually did themselves a favor by getting a better draft pick this year, because if they would have snuck into the playoffs with their whopping seven and nine record, 
they were going to go out early. They weren't a real playoff team. And they, they, they actually yep. got eight picks higher in the draft, I think. So I yep. feel like in this instance where I usually would say, when you're never losing when you're winning and it's good, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just think if Trevor Lawrence is anywhere near as good as what most people think, it's going to be very painful to watch him on Jacksonville for the next 12 or 14 years. So I feel like we lost that one. Uh, and, and I'm going to agree with both of you. I'm going to say that both of those teams were terrible, and it was really embarrassing to be a New York fan. Unfortunately, that's why I live in Atlanta. Well, actually, that's even more embarrassing, but forget it. We'll talk about that another time. So so we've got our worst showing. Now let, let's talk about our, our – let's talk about the team's best showing. And in my opinion, each team ha- has one game that has been their absolute pinnacle, their absolute best game that they've ever had. I think the Giants 2008 Super Bowl versus the undefeated Patriots where uh, Super Bowl 42, I think it was, the spread was New England by 12 and they won 17 to 14. So that was just a great, great game. And then you've also got the Jets 1969 Super Bowl that none of us were alive for versus the 13 and one Colts uh, that won 16 to seven. And the spread on that one was Baltimore by 18. So you've got two two incredible games, um, Paul. What is what did that win mean to you as a Giants fan back in '08, beating what would have arguably been the the greatest team? They were already going down as the greatest team in history. So what 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 were what were your thoughts about about that Super Bowl win? And has there been any other Giants moment that's been as big uh, as it's, that? One? It's a great question, Darren. And I mean, you know, any Super Bowl win is a phenomenal win. I've been fortunate enough to have four of yep. those uh, in my lifetime. Yeah, uh, which has just been been great. You know, the thing with that win in 2008, I was actually there. If you remember, the Giants played the Patriots the last game of the regular season. Uh, the Giants were already in the playoffs. Yep. They had their spot locked up. They had nothing to play for. And Tom Coughlin, love that man, played to win the game. You know, we did, I just talked about the Eagles tanking. Tom Coughlin played to win the game. And it was, the uh, uh, to this day, the most exciting energized loss that I've ever been in attendance for. I've <laughs> never been to a Giants loss that I enjoyed as much as that one. If you recall, it was a great game back and forth, both teams in it right up until the fourth quarter. And it just gave us this sense going into the playoffs that we could do something special. And so then by, by that point, you know, we had uh, beat the Buccaneers, beaten the Cowboys, beaten, beaten the Packers. We, yeah, we knew it was the undefeated Patriots, but there was this kind of this cool confidence that we had that they could really shock the world. And so that was a, a tremendous win. It was, it was great to get back to the promised land, uh, you know, after 18 years from their, their, their last Super Bowl win. Of course, they've been there in 2000 that we won't talk about. Um, but I will say, you know, it, can I think of another moment that was as exciting and I would have to go back to that 1990 season. Um, the Giants going on the road in the NFC Championship against the two-time Super Bowl defending champion 49ers, going for the three-peat, yep. beating, the, beating the 49ers on five Matt Barr field goals and just what was just a slugfest, a brutal game on both sides. Um, that, was, that was a great one, too. Yeah, you guys, <laughs> Giants have had a lot of great memories. Now, Phil, I know you weren't around for for Super Bowl three, and and obviously that 
that for the Jets franchise is, is probably the greatest and it might have been their, their only great moment they've ever had. But but what are what what's a really big game that you can remember that really stands out in your mind? Um, so there's a couple moments. I mean, obviously the Jets franchise, unfortunately, has been nowhere near as uh, successful as the Giants. Um, one game that stands out to me is when Parcells was the coach of the Jets. They went on the road to Denver to take on Elway in the AFC title game in 99. Um, yep. And uh, that was a game, if you remember, the Jets had the lead at halftime, I, I believe by 10. And they were really in a situation where, and I think even at the time, whoever won that game was going to be a heavy favorite to win the Super Bowl because the, the Atlanta Falcons, which were really not a great team that year, had pre earlier in the day won the NFC title. I think they yep. upset, I don't know who they beat, but they upset somebody and we're going to be prohibitive underdogs to either the Jets or Broncos. And so going a mile high and winning was going to be a heavy, uh, heavy task. But the Jets had a double-digit lead at halftime, and they had a very uncharacteristic thing. Back, back in 99, obviously Parcells takes over the Jets in, I think, 97. Um, he builds the team around, uh, you know, a lot of veterans, a lot of guys that had won with him before. And uh, I believe Dave Meggett, who's a very, you know, famous mm-hmm. giant player, um, coughed up a punt return in a critical spot, and he was as sure-handed as it got. And uh, he fumbled either a kickoff or a punt, but I think it was a punt because it left them in bad situation with Denver able to punch one in real quick, and it flipped, yep. it flipped the game. And so that's just a game that stuck with me as a devastating loss, but how close they got, and they would have almost definitely won that Super Bowl. Um, so that one always stings. I, I think if I'm thinking of like good moments, I believe it or not, as crucified as Rex Ryan was, he gave the Jets some of their best moments in the last three decades. Um, That's true. You know, true. taking, you know, two teams back to back years, two AFC title games, doing it all on the road, basically both years. Um, I think a game that stands out is beating Brady, uh, Bre- beating Brady, I believe, and, uh, Manning and Brady back to back weeks. Um, with Mark Sanchez, that almost seems impossible. But in uh, 2008 or 2009, because it was back-to-back years, they did it. I think it was the second yep. year. They go, to, they go to Indianapolis, beat Manning, and then they go up to Foxborough, beat Brady. And then they, they had to go to Pittsburgh to beat Roethlisberger to get to the Super Bowl and lost the game where they, 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 had, they got trailed by a lot and made a late comeback but fell short. So I would say, though, the, the, the beaten Brady and Manning back-to-back weeks is probably a good memory. Um, yep. But, you know, when you have a bad franchise with a history of losing, you're not going to pull too many great, you know, historical memories. And, and I was too young for Super Bowl three. So uh, as I joke with my father, I say I was born just late enough to miss all the good stuff, but I'm way old <laughs> enough to have suffered more than most. So. That, that is <laughs> that is true, man. Yeah. If you only you had behaved early, if only you had behaved better, you could have been like a Chiefs fan, you know, somebody somebody really good out there, or a, Listen, you could have been a Patriots fan. If but when no, I was born, forced you to be a Jets fan. If when I was born, he would have taken every NFL team coin, threw it in the air, and let me just throw one up as a toddler, I'd have had a better shot for yeah. more success. So. 
Well, naturally, there's yeah. there's no doubt. There's no doubt. <laughs> Jets have just been a terrible franchise. All right, so let's uh, let's move on. I appreciate uh, appreciate your thoughts, guys, on that. I'm going to move on to a little Jets and Giants trivia. Let's see who knows their teams better. Now, are these are these challenging questions? Well, I probably knew all the answers, so they can't be that challenging. All right, let's start off with playoff, Paul. All right, question number one: What is the legal name of the Giants? Giants? The New York Football Giants. And do you know why they're called the New York Football Giants? Uh, I don't think I do, actually. Interesting. Interesting. It's because they were called the New York Football Giants, Inc., because in 1937, the New York Giants baseball team also played there. So they wanted to obviously separate themselves from the New York Giants baseball team. So they changed their name to New York Football Giants. So excellent job. Excellent job. Mr. Mr. Sunday Phil, what two players were involved in the infamous butt fumble? <laughs> um, God, I'm just—I'll just take a guess because I don't remember who, who the heck. The who's the famous butt into. that was involved in yeah. that? <laughs> I mean, obviously, Mr. Mark Sanchez on Thanksgiving. By the way, it was on Thanksgiving, and it was two days after my twins were born. That is the distinct memory I have because my wife was in the hospital and I had slept in the hospital both nights. And then that night, which was the third night, I think she was like, go home, get one good night's sleep. So I went home and I actually got home right around the moment that happened. Mm. So believe that or not, I have no idea who he slid into. Did he slide into Mark Sanchez slid into God only knows Rex Ryan's butt. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what offensive alignment is. That- that well, if you're not gonna, I mean, obviously Rex Could, Ryan is not gonna it, give you. Who could that have been? That maybe that was like, uh, I don't know. I have no idea. Go ahead, tell me. It was it was the great perennial Hall of Famer Brandon Moore. Brandon Moore. So that's cool. That's a good, that was a fair. That was an even level question. What did a Giants franchise name? Who did Mark Sanchez slide his face into? Thank you. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. Well, let's go to question two, and we'll 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 flip it around, and we'll have we'll have Sunday Phil go first. So, oh, what was the Jets or Jets team original name? Uh, the Titans. The Titans. All right. There. See, so you got a cupcake question too. Are right? you Appreciate happy? It. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. All right. So. Uh, playoff Paul, question number two. Actress Kate Mara, she has got two very famous grandfathers. One is the owner of the Giants, former owner, named Tim Mara. Who is her, her actual, other great-grandfather? Uh, Art Rooney. Art Rooney is the correct answer. A commanding two-to-one well, lead. Nice job there, Playoff Kate Paul. Sisters, what her name is? There you go. <sighs> Rooney Mara. Rooney really? Mara, yeah, she was in one. She's she's in one of my Scroll favorite movies. Uh, the girl. Oh, God, I love that series. I think there was like five. There was like there were three books. The guy died, and somebody else has written a couple books. I think I'm actually a book behind. That reminds me. So thank you. I'm going to put that on my list. Um, yeah, great books and great movies. So uh, so good stuff. All right, question number three, and we'll uh, we'll switch back. And uh, playoff Paul's got a two to one lead here, so we'll go with you. What stadium? Did the Giants play in prior they to moving at the, to Giants uh, the Stadium? Elbow. The Yale Bowl. The what? The Yale Bowl. Actually, you're, you're that is wrong. not correct. 
because they were at Yankee Stadium. That is not correct. They 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 did go to the L Bowl for I think and then they went years before they could move into Giant Stadium. And then they had I am not so sure about that. Um, I think. I think that the Giants actually played. Uh, huh. So what am I going to get if, so if now I'm, I'm have right? To, now I'm going to have to look that back up. Man. Yeah, seriously. Is, he is... he loses his job for two weeks. So do it. Do it. I hope Paul's right. Uh, I, I. Man. All right. You know what? I know that they did play there, but I had them playing somewhere else after that. But. Uh, uh, but if so I can't, so listen, we're too low I, budget. We don't have fact checkers. We don't... And, and I am right. The last game they played Man. was in the Elbow, but in 1975, they played at Shea Stadium. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did. Wait, so where's they, the. That, yeah, they that, did that play at Shea Stadium. That is, that's right. That, now that, that you're saying that. Right. They played in the in 75 season, they played in Shea Stadium. And that's what I, that's what I had written down. But they played one final exhibition game. At so the, at I think the, the, que- the question was against the Jets. <laughs> yeah, that, that, right, that so, question. So, that question's so, uh, a little tough, though. Because wh- all right, were you asking right, you know where what? was the you know last well, place they played? I didn't even remember what. You, you know what? <laughs> Shame on me. All right. Yeah. Okay, I'm wrong. No, I screwed I, it up. Actually, all right, I, I was I not specific enough. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull, pull, pull a yellow card on myself. There. No, we're, 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 we're. No, man, we're, we're, we're going to the judge. I'm the judge, and I say that we're throwing that question out because I was not specific enough. So that is me. I'm taking that question out. That has been removed from the game. Phil, you do not get a question number three. Nice. So we're gonna go on to question number four, and this is gonna. I think this is gonna tell us who the true fan is. Mm. All right, and we're. I'm gonna let. I'm gonna let Sunday Phil go first on this one. Uh-oh. Sunday Phil, can you name for me the last five starting Jets quarterbacks? Oh God, that question's so hard for a bad franchise. <laughs> it's a. It's a, uh, It's a very bad question. But wait, wait till you hear Paul's <laughs> question. It's 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 even worse. Go ahead. Oh my God, that's brutal. Um, the last. Five Jets quarterbacks. Last five last, Jets wait, that have started, started a, game. a football oh game. Oh, my God. Uh, started a game. Yes, the last five. Oh, wow. All right. So, uh, uh, Darnold, um, Flacco. That was tough. Yep. Who was that idiot last year when Darnold had mono? Oh, my God. <laughs> that guy was horrible. Um God, I, I'm just, I'm I'm really gonna be in trouble here. Uh, is McCown one of the five? McCown is one All of the right. five. You got, got two, two left. left. One is left. like an absurd player who doesn't belong in the NFL. Because uh, that because Adam because Adam Gates thought he knew his offense, which was a joke. <laughs> yep. God, I can't remember that guy's name. Uh, I'm I have no idea. Let's see. Is there is there another obvious one that I'm missing, or is it two ridiculous players? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not going to give you any hints, man. That would be cheating. Uh, Listen, if you don't know, it just shows that you're not. Yeah, I can't. I try to block the last couple years out of my mind. 
Yeah, I can't, I'm not going to be able to pull that. Weird, that weird dude that got to start a game or two. I have no idea who was it. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a few. I'm gonna give you a minute to think about that while I move oh, on God. to playoff Paul's picture. Yeah. I'm playoff Paul's cat. After hearing playoff that, Paul, you ready for your question? This one, this one is uh, this one's going to be challenging. Also, I would like for you to name the last five for the Giants. starting well, quarterbacks okay, for the so Giants. Daniel Jones, Colt McCoy, Eli yep. Manning, Colt McCoy, Geno Smith, Eli Manning. Oh Gino my God, Smith. Gino! Jeez, you're just rattling these off. It's incredible. Kurt Warner. Man, dude, that's five for five. Wow, that that's how good of a five. franchise well, the Giants are. That Kurt Eli Warner Manning was number five. Made that. Made that uh... Yeah. Yeah, Manning was only the quarterback for like ten yeah, straight seasons true. with nobody else. Wow, so. that was good. That was good though to still go back yeah. to Kurt. Nice job. That, right, that who, I have no idea impressive. who these other idiots are. Who who are they? Paul, Paul, do you have any? Do you have any idea well, the two that, that Phil Smith? missed? No, one of them was not Geno Smith. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think it was even more recent because Darno Darno missed games in all three of his first years. Wow, they were both wow. two thousand. Yeah, it was two different quarterbacks when oh, he had was, mono. They tried the two guy, different. Did you the guy from Alabama? Um, that was no, crazy. that was no, that was uh, that was before. Just, there's yeah, been yeah, so yeah, many. It, it, there's it, been so it many. It's just it's like saying Cleveland Browns in the last you know ten years. Yeah. That would have, that would have been a layup. We've had no been, we've yeah, had no yeah. stability. Yeah, we've had no stability. All right, who are they? Well, the. The two that you missed were uh, Trevor Simeon. Uh, Trevor Simeon, I could have got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, right yeah, on. but you didn't. And then a guy named uh, I don't even know what his I don't even know what his first name. His last name oh, is Falk. David Falk. Not 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 the. I agent. thought it was Marshall. The, the really bad quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to say that uh, that we've got a a true Giants ah. fan. And a not not so true Jets uh, fan exposed. today. I mean, that, that's... exposed on my own podcast. So, so yeah, that was that was that was really pathetic. Way to way to do well on your own podcast, man. I'm gonna have, I might have to dump you because of that, but that's all right. That's all right. So, so here's my question. I want to ask you guys. Uh, I got a couple more questions, and I want to see what you think. I want to see what your thoughts are in the future, Paul. What do you think? When do you predict? That your team will make the next Super Bowl uh, within two years. Because if it's if it's not you think in two within years, two years, not, you're saying you know, if it's not certainly within the next three years, we're in big trouble because it means that Daniel Jones is absolutely a bust. Saquon's not come back, come back from his knee injury. We've not done anything to to improve the pass rush. Okay. So it's it's the Giants are at that point where they're either gonna, they're either going to take a big step forward next year, make a little playoff run, get you know kind of get yep. their feet underneath yep. them, and then come back the next year and really really dominate, or we're in big trouble. Okay. So what's so what's your thought? What what does your gut tell you? What Plus what? Uh, how many years away? You think you think in two That's years? Right. So so two Super Bowls from now. Well, but... No, the listen, Paul, I, wow. I understand that perspective. I, I think I think That's that was impressive. fairly stated. I mean, they're, they're, a lot is hinging on blowing up the whole thing if Daniel Jones isn't the answer. Uh, I think Joe Judge yeah. is the answer. I mean, I think a giant, most Giant fans like what he's done. 
I think that the link, the issue yep. is just if Daniel Jones isn't the answer, you really can't overcome that. So that's right. That's, that's, that, that, that's that, the that million is, dollar question. I mean, a hundred percent. And no giant fan truly knows. You could ask a hundred giant fans. You're going to get 50, 50. He just, I was not a fan of the draft of drafting yeah. him to yeah. begin with. You know, people got all hyped up when he came in, Yep. you know, Danny, Danny Dimes, Dimes? <laughs> you know, put up some numbers, <laughs> But you know, my concern with him is <laughs> yeah. he just—he just, looks nervous out there all the time. Does it, yeah. yeah, you know, it's interesting about that draft, though, right? Like, I always joke with people—they—they they really, if they would have done what you know the common thought was, they would have taken Dwayne out That's of the right. Haskins. So you know, they—they uh, they did a better idea. I mean, I, I think you could have made a case they—they they had some better players they could have drafted. Maybe still got. Danny Dimes later, um, but yeah, I mean he's he's been he's, he's, been okay. he's, he's, he's an been athlete, okay, but yeah, he's, he's got it's... some athletic skills and he you know he can make plays. He's he's got to he's got to get some moxie though. He needs some mojo. Yeah. You know we need you know just a little swagger in him. Yep, and he's just yeah. Well, he's got he's got that aw he shucks Eli Manning to him, which I think they liked about him. It's just that yeah. you know Eli Manning was a different. I, I think uh, Mr. Mr. Host didn't ask, I think, the most important question. So I'll pose it to you as a Giant fan. And I have many Giant fans in the family. So it's not like I haven't had this debate or heard from many of, their, many of them on this. Where do, you, where do you stand in a moment of honesty in terms of separating the two Super Bowl run, run of Eli Manning and his body of work for his career? Do you think he's great because he won two Super Bowls or do you think his body of work outside of two Super Bowls would still warrant where he's ultimately going to end up which uh, I think that, I mean you, you can't say he belongs in Canton without the two Super Bowls but I mean it, I mean that's it's impossible to separate the two but it's not as though Eli Manning's career yeah. was made what was was just about those two Super Bowls. We just talked about the biggest and most important thing Eli Manning gave to the Giants franchise, which was the stability, right? The ability to play 16 games yep. year in and year out solidly, sometimes unspectacular and unspectacularly but solidly year in and year out consistently and when and when the brights were when the lights were brightest and we needed them most there has never been a, be- a better big game quarterback, in my opinion. Yeah, he's an interesting – he's a conundrum to me because I, I remember many of my family members sitting back watching him over his very lengthy career, somehow being more mad at him day to day than praising him. And in the end, he's going to get all the accolades and all the fond memories because you end up going back to all the winning moments and remembering them. But I don't think there's ever been a player who's had more success at the pinnacle of his career that has had more fans be on him negatively throughout that career. Well, I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you a quick. I mean, many talk, many, many, you know, fodder on talk radio for years was, you know, why can't they? Why don't they make the playoffs every year with Eli Manning? If he's that good, why are they, un, you know, why are they under 500 so much? This, that and the other thing. It's just interesting. But to your point, when the bright, lights were the brightest, he beat Brady. He beat Brady twice. Yeah. He ran through the NFC those two seasons, and he so can never I'll take tell you that a really quick story. Darren already knows this because he he called me the night the Giants won that Super Bowl in two thousand and eight. You remember that, Darren? 
And, uh, but that, so I, I had been, I was yep. down on yep. Eli. I was not a fan uh-huh. of the draft choice. I, I didn't think he was great. You know, I, I had a whole lot of, a whole lot of negativity. My wife was always a big fan. She, you know, she went to Alabama, big SEC fan, that kind of thing. Big fan of the Manning family. So in that Super Bowl, when the Giants got the ball back with a minute and 52 to go and down by four, I said, come on, Eli. I, it's kind of under my breath. Come on, Eli. Time to start writing your legend. And my wife said to me, if he takes this football team down, down, down the field and scores, what are you going to do? And I thought for half a second, I said, I will go out tomorrow morning. I will buy myself an Eli Manning jersey, and I will become the biggest Eli Manning fan you, you have ever seen. And I have never yeah it's funny how some people have other people's numbers and eli manning and tom coughlin had belichick and brady's number not that they face each other i mean obviously you know you can make a very you could you could be fair fairly evaluate that game and say let's face it the giant front four demolish Brady and it's the only reason Eli Manning had a chance in that game because that team was averaging like 38 points a game and couldn't score in that Super Bowl I mean that Super Bowl was won by the Giants defense but yeah I mean the second Super Bowl wasn't the second Super Bowl Eli Manning made I think it was a better showing offensively for for, for, for sure so the second one yeah the first one the first one Justin Tuck coming out for sure so you asked me a question I want to ask you a question which and we were talking about Daniel Jones and whether whether he was the answer. So is Sam Darnold the answer? I think we might have lost him. He quit. <laughs> you know that's that's a that's a really great question. Is is Sam Darnold the answer? You know it's 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 funny. Like when 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 I look at that, I I always think you know what 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 should the Jets do? You know should they stick with Darnold? Should they go and draft a whole bunch of players around them? I mean, you know, I, I think that the Jets yeah. traded up to get this guy because they saw something in him. And and I, I don't I don't necessarily think that he's had a fair shake. You know, I mean when you look at the teams that he's played for and the different coordinators and coaches, I mean it's been like it's been like the, the worst thing in the world for this this poor kid. You know, he's a young guy still still trying to still trying to learn his way. And, uh, you well, know, I personally so for, for think they're going to stick with a Giants fan kind of Phil, sitting over here on the side watching. I do not think that the Jets problems are, are because of Sam. Yeah. Donald. I, I think that he has never had the, the, the cast around him. And he certainly hasn't had the coaching. Um, yep. Uh, yep. Uh, you I, know, I, 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 there, I mean, well, there's there's a lot to yeah. that. Phil, yeah, so yeah, I'm, no, I mean, I'm you sure know, Phil I was a, that. we were talking about we're talking about Darnold. Of Darnold. I was. It was the obvious right selection to make with the third pick in the draft three years ago. Um, I think you could have revisionist history all you want. Nobody believed yep. in Josh Allen back then. Uh, he was a 50% completion guy out of a small school. Yep. They thought that was going to work out. Most people didn't. And, and if you like Baker Mayfield, it didn't matter because he was already gone. So I think the pick made sense. And then everything they did right after the pick made no sense. They never protected him properly. They had a defensive-minded coach yeah. in Todd Bowles, who yeah. probably wasn't the best suited for him um, initially. And then they did the ultimate worst thing you could do, which was fire him the first year and replace him with a a, a just a disastrous yep. you know situation with Adam Gase that I don't think any independent-minded fan thought was a good move. 
I mean, that wasn't a Monday morning quarterback thing. In real time, there wasn't two fans or two analysts that thought that that made sense. Um, yeah. yeah, but he was a he That's was a brilliant, no off, brilliant offensive mind. Though. Anybody that knows his only real success was with Peyton Manning in Denver. <laughs> And uh, that's not a success that he could be credited for. So, yeah, I mean, Darnold, let's face it, Darnold has had no, no supporting <laughs> cast, but worse, he's had no offensive line. Where I would, dif- where I would disagree, though, is I need to know what, what the plan would be before I would say I'm for sure married to Darnold long term. And that's because sometimes guys need a change of pace, uh, a change of scenery. And to think he's going to be in New York with his third head coach in four years with his third offensive system. That, that gives me pause for concern. I like the coaching staff they've built. I mean, as much as you can like something that is still coordinators and you don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, but I, I, if, if it's Deshaun Watson replacing yeah. Sam Darnold, how can I have a problem with that? If it's, another crapshoot of another rookie draft pick. I, I have strong reservations about doing that. Um, and just because of the rumors floating around with Watson and the jets, I can't say I'm married to Darnold under any circumstance, because if you have a chance to add Deshaun Watson at 25 years old, I think you yeah. have to do it. Um, but I, other than that, I would try to run it back with Darnold and actually, you know, provide him with weapons and, and see what the kid can be. He's 24 years old. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Guys, I have one more question for each of you. Uh, Paul, I want you to tell me if you're, if you're the giants GM this off season, what are, what are three things uh, that, we need, we need that you would focus right. on? You know, one of the, you know, one of the most difficult things I was talking to my friend, Nicholas, who's also a big giants fan. Um, and we we're just watching the playoffs and it is just painful to think that we let JPP go. Um, and just the way he's playing down in, in Tampa just just really yeah. kind of puts a spotlight on the fact that you know it's not that the giant you know the Giants defense did that was solid with the pass rush but we need that like that that game changing you know uh, uh, pass rusher that offenses have to scheme against and stuff like that we just we just don't have that uh, right now um, beyond that I think you know a, a game changing yep. wide receiver would be good you know if if you know, by some miracle, you know, Devontae Smith was there. That would be a no-brainer, of course. I'd also be really happy if the Giants got Jalen Waddle, little Alabama, Alabama, you know, bias there, of course. But yep. uh, physical wide receiver that can, you know, score from basically anywhere on the field, he would be great as well. But if I had to choose, I would, I would say a, a, a marquee pass rusher. Okay. Okay, Phil. What about you? You're the uh, you're the GM. You kind of. I mean, like I'm missing 150 pounds. Head coach seen that guy, but for yeah. that matter. What? <laughs> that's true. That's true. What are What are your thoughts? You're the GM. What are you doing? Uh, I mean, I think it's offseason? really going to get down to the evaluation. That I don't even know if it's the evaluation so much. If if the if there's real smoke or if there's real fire to the smoke out there that Watson wants out, and Watson wants to come to New York, and he's telling some people that it's his first choice you have to explore that opportunity now i'm not i've heard many people say whatever the texans want you give them i'm not of that mindset Uh, like i'm not just giving them any amount of first round picks i'm not doing that because anybody that knows the jets knows they need 20 things 
there's not one thing. Now, does a franchise quarterback like Watson solve a lot of issues and, and cover up holes? Sure. And they have 80 to 90 million in cap flexibility. So you can do some stuff if you go the route of Watson and you're going to need to because you're not going to have a lot of picks. But I would have to prioritize plan A being yeah. to explore Watson and bringing Deshaun Watson in. And I would offer, you know, three first round picks because you have four in the next two years. So if I can offer two combination of the two Seattle and one of the Jets or, you know, two Jets and a Seattle, I would do that for him. I would not go beyond that, though. So I would have to put pressure on the Texans to make a call soon and then know that I have a plan B. And to me, that plan B would be building around Darnold. I know that sounds strange because that's two totally different tracks, but I think it's a unique situation that a 25-year-old quarterback like Deshaun Watson, who, let's face it, if he, he's not one of the best three, but he's definitely in the next group of, you know, between four and six, uh, you, have to, you have to make that plan A. Yep. And then plan B to me is, and more likely, because I don't think they'll get Watson, I think the Texans are going to ask for an unlimited amount of things. And I don't think Joe Douglas is built to do that. And so then I think at yep. that point, you know, you trade back from two, you get even more picks, you land in that six, seven, eight range, you trade with the Eagles or what have you, the, the Falcons, one of those type of teams, the Lions, and you uh, take the best receiver left. And it may be one that may be the number one guy. I don't know if it's Smith. I don't know if it's if it's uh, Chase from LSU, if it's Waddle, one of those guys. And I think you and then with the next first round pick, you go get another offensive player. I think you actually have to be then committed to seeing what Darnold is. Um, and you can only do that by putting weapons around him and seeing what the kid can be. So I, I, that would be my that would be the start of my offseason. It's very unique and different because you got this elephant in the room in Deshaun Watson that you have to try to get. And then you got to be agile enough to pivot. So I think that's what the offseason is. And I'm sure that's what's happening right now. No, that's true. That's true. Good point. Good point. Well, guys, I, I definitely appreciate it. I think this has been a, uh, a fun, fun Jets versus Giants football showdown. I think I think basically what I take out of this is that is that we got two great New York fans here that, that have really helped educate our listeners. And, uh, you know, I appreciate both of you being on and, and, and being so open and honest, especially with no preparation whatsoever. No, just, so, guys, uh, Paul, anything that you want to leave us with before you go? Been, it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, as, as always and as per usual, the Giants demonstrated their, uh, their, their, their power over the Jets in the New York market. It's, you know, you know we, we do have something in common, though, Paul. We have the fact that we've decided – as two rich organizations to create one of the crappiest stadiums oh and share it it's together. So, bad. so we do have, so for the, all the, all the greatness of the giants and all the <laughs> crappiness of the Jets, we came together in perfect harmony to build the ugliest, most bland, expensive stadium of all time. It is so we have that a hundred percent agreement. $1.2 billion. <laughs> Yes, I, and then when I always have to look at uh, Jerry Jones Stadium, which was built for about the same amount, I have to cry. So, yeah. yeah, totally agree. <laughs> we'll leave it on yeah. that note. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty crazy. Well, well guy, it's I all it's all good anytime, stuff. Guys. Uh, Paul, you got to promise me that you'll come back and visit us again soon. 
That'd be awesome. Well, thank you guys and uh, appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. And now that, that was fun. What did you think of that, Phil? Yeah, no, that was fun. Uh, playoff Paul, uh, he knew his stuff. He's a, he's a good giant fan. Uh, it was great, great having him on. We uh, appreciate him coming on. And uh, I'll take the L in that one. I think he got me. So <laughs> he, also, he also has a lot better team, <laughs> a lot better memories. That, yeah, he's he's had a lot more success. I mean, what five Super Bowl appearances versus was it five? No, four Super Bowl appearances. Four versus wins. No, the four. Jets. I think they they got four four titles. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty five. impressive. That's pretty impressive. Listen, I I want you to know, even though you, you lost out in this fan battle, that I still consider you to be a Jets super fan, and I am still impressed with your Jets knowledge. Not as impressed as I was before, but I'm still impressed. So. I uh, I appreciate that. Now, the only thing that I can say for the next time something like this happens is I'd like you to be a little better prepared. Uh, well, you know me. They don't call me preparation Phil for nothing. You know, <laughs> better than your that better than your uh, your old college nickname of preparation H. So <laughs> so I feel good about that. You know, the uh, the one thing I got to admit that was a little surprising to me is that you did not know the infamous butt fumble. You did not know whose butt was involved. I did not know whose patootie was involved. You're right. And that is a, from my understanding, that is a big behind too. <laughs> I mean, you know? in fairness to any real Jet fan, we've been trying to block that memory out since uh, 2012. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's amazing that that the butt fumbles are almost eight. It's eight years old. Just past eight years old already. Well, Man, you know what the, I think... time, the time goes slow when you stink. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. But, but what I find really interesting about that from a, from a Jets perspective is, you know what? The Jets basically have two huge moments that everybody remembers. The Super Bowl being one and the butt fumble being two. I mean, what does that tell you about your franchise when, when your second biggest moment is the butt fumble? <laughs> and because, and I'm just thinking about big moments, that, and this isn't like a, obviously in a game moment, but you're right, it tells you a bad, it's not a good story to tell. But then the other infamous moment <laughs> is the, because uh, the Jets were doing hard knocks. Remember when they did hard knocks? Yeah, I do remember and, that. And the Rex Ryan thing, go eat a GD sandwich. Remember that? That was like this. <laughs> Let's go eat a GD snack. <laughs> that was like his thing. Uh, I don't know how that guy coached, man. He was just I, – I, that was one of those where every time they showed him coaching, it was at the buffet table, wasn't it? He did, but, yeah, he could go out of breath just giving a play call. So. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that was a tough That was a tough one. Hey, you yeah. know what, though? He's, he's, the, uh, he's one of those guys, man, that's just – he's reinvented himself, and he's, he's found himself a, a, a successful career as a commentator. You know, and I guess he's all right since he's been on for years. Yeah, I guess so. I haven't caught a lot of him. I know early on he sounded a little canned, like it sounded a little uh, – he wasn't ready for TV, but he's gotten yep. better, I think. So, yeah, good, yeah. good so, for old Rex. Yeah, so good stuff, man, good stuff. I definitely enjoyed uh, definitely enjoyed the episode today. I hope everybody else did too. We are really excited about next week. Next week we will be having our Super Bowl preview show. And uh, and that should be that should be pretty exciting. Phil, do you still feel pretty good about uh, about the Chiefs with a with with just over a week before the Super Bowl starts? If I'm being totally honest, I don't. I don't. And I and uh, interesting. And the, the the left tackle is out for the game. By the way, he got hurt. Uh, Mahomes is uh, Mahomes' left tackle. So that's that's a that's a tough one to have to replace in the Super Bowl. Yep. So uh, listen, it might just be Mr. Tom, Super Superman Tom Brady. 
he might be able to pull one more out. I'm not dumb enough to clearly feel good betting against him. So I got another <laughs> week to mull it over. It's going to be a good one. Listen, the NFL couldn't have hit a better home run. I mean, I know Rodgers Mahomes yeah. would have been great, so they couldn't lose either way as long as KC got there. But Brady and Mahomes, wow. It's going to be fun. I mean, no, I mean, th- think about it. And we're, we're going we're gonna to dive really far into this uh, next week. But when you when you think about it, you know, you I mean, it, it's the best storyline. You've got the team, you know, that's looking to repeat for the first time in a, in a while. And then you've got Tom Brady looking to do something with another team. I mean, it's you, you, the NFL truly could not have asked for a better scenario in my mind. I mean, there's nope. other there's other matchups that would have been nice. But I think this is truly the dream matchup. And I have a feeling the ratings for this game are going to be through the roof, too. I think so. And the ratings, I know, have been down in sports in general. But this feels like the perfect storm of, you know, not much sports going on right now. This dream matchup should be a close game. This is a fun one. So looking forward to it. Good, good, good stuff. Well, thank you as always, sir. It's, uh, It's been fun signing off from Super Bowl Darren. And uh, Sunday, Phil, hope everybody has a great day, great weekend, and we'll look forward to talking to everybody next week. Take care, everyone.